Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder. Today, I'm joined by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing well, Ethan. Spring is in the air. Spring is definitely in the air. We're going to start off with spring football as well. ASU has a lot of new faces uh, in spring football practice so far. They have 15 scholarship newcomers participating. It's the most ever for ASU football. They have players throughout the offense and throughout the defense, two quarterbacks, two running backs, two tight ends, and three offensive linemen are newcomers on the offensive end. They have three defensive linemen, one linebacker, and two defensive backs that are scholarship newcomers on the defensive end. Chris, what have you seen kind of from those new faces early on? Yeah, it's been a lot to get used to. Uh, it's going to still take a while longer. The This migratory nature of college football now with the transfer portal has changed things quite significantly. Um, I can remember early on in my years covering ASU football practices in the spring, let's say 15 or so years ago, you might get a few guys that would be out there who were early enrollees or uh, junior college transfers uh, maybe an occasional division one transfer, but, um, it's really quite dramatically, uh, changed. And, uh, I think this is kind of the way things are going to be, um, you know, moving forward, it's going to be more of the norm than the exception. Now, um, the ASU has been ramping up some of these guys more slowly than others, because a few of them, including two safeties, Corey Bethley and Chris Edmonds, were kind of later arrivals uh, in the, during this spring semester because they were finishing up academically at their previous schools. Um, you know, so I, I, we're still not gonna have a really great sense about what these guys um, are entirely capable of, probably through the conclusion of spring ball, if not, maybe even uh, heading into the, the first week or two of fall camp in August. The ASU has a, a huge task of uh, trying to overcome the, the departure of, I think, 13 starters from last season. So more than half of their starters, uh, including some of their absolute best players, um, Rashad White, Deamonte Tran, um, uh, Kellen Deesh, and Donovan West, Curtis Hodges, of course, Jane Daniels transferred, then you look at uh, they've lost a couple of their wide receivers and um, on defense, Tyler Johnson, DJ Davidson, Darian Butler, and the entirety of their secondary. So that's a lot. And it's a, it's a, it's a massive challenge. I would say, I don't know that they're going to be better um, in a bunch of these spots than they were last year, purely from a talent slash experience slash um, schematic fluency standpoint, all of which are very important factors. Um, and then sort of also the knowledge that you have about your opponents it, it is, a, is more of a secondary thing, but that also kind of matters. So um, the most important sort of pressing needs that they have, I would say are their quarterback situation following the Daniels departure the, replacing three offensive linemen starters, including two of their better offensive players. Um, the tight end situation, uh, especially as they move toward more of a pro style offense, as we're, we're seeing a little more sort of huddling and play action stuff. 
and what that requires from our protections and running game standpoint uh, under this uh, first year coordinator, Glenn Thomas. And then defensively, the secondary is, is a massive thing um, that that is going to take a while to really get a better understanding of, especially with those D1 transfers being slower to get uh, up and running. And then um, I think they are going to be very talented in their front seven. That's probably the strength of the team overall, even with those, those uh, three standout players leaving. Um, but we're still getting a sense of what some of these newer guys are, are can do. Nesta Silvera, the, the nose tackle from Miami, he hasn't really practiced yet, for, for an example. And um, we haven't seen a ton of Rodney Gross Jr., the linebacker transfer. So, um, and then we're going to go through all the positions here, and, and that will probably allow us to flush out this even more. Yeah, as, as you're making it pretty clear, there's a pretty massive overhaul in terms of players. And then even you touched on a little bit, coaches as well, new, new schemes and things along those lines with coaches and players both moving in and out, a lot of transfers as well as players going into the draft. But that's one of the biggest kind of storylines is just the whole big overturn. But one of the second or even the same level of storyline is the quarterback battle has been a big part, as you said, with Jaden Daniels transferring to LSU. Trenton Borgay, his backup from last season, is still around, and he's in the battle with Alabama transfer Paul Tyson. What have you seen from that quarterback room? Very interesting. Um, first couple of days, I was focused on just doing all the reporting and making sure everybody was there and what everybody looked like. So I wasn't that I wasn't that focused on the quarterbacks. And um, but then the last few practices, I've been paying closer attention I think I think we're going to have a battle on our hands uh, is the bottom line that I would that I would I would frame it I, I don't think this is going to be resolved quickly or or neatly um, Borgay he's missed a, a few some throws that I, that I would have normally expect him to make in just the 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 narrow 11 on 11 windows that we get to watch which is really um, for people who aren't aware we're not seeing all the practices we're seeing about we're seeing maybe not quite half of the practices um, and we're only seeing portions usually of one 11 on 11 period tends to be no more than six, eight plays of the, the, the starters. And, and then maybe even less sometimes of the second team. So, but Paul Tyson, uh, he's been, he's been really getting some rave reviews in terms of his leadership style and his maturity and also uh, his football IQ and his ability to, learn the playbook and everything those are areas that Borgay was always uh had as strengths probably even maybe more so than Jane Daniels and yet Borgay's physical uh size is uh, rather sort of uninspiring his arm is kind of average as well um, so he's like that uh that operator who has to basically be very quick and and precise in everything that he's doing uh, in order to be successful but they're learning a new offense. And so they're kind of, that's, that's being incorporated into my evaluation of the thing. But Tyson doesn't look to me like he's really behind and he's quite a bit different stylistically. He's a bigger kid, six, five, big arm. Um, I noticed that maybe some of his throws to the open side of his body, which is going to his right, the, 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 the mechanic is, is different. And so I, I'm seeing a, maybe a little bit less consistency with his accuracy. Um, so that's something to watch moving forward. 
neither one of them, I would say, has been lights out to start spring ball or anything really probably even close to that. And um, then elsewhere at the position, Dalen McElmore has got, undergone a, a, an overhaul of his throwing mechanic, which I think has him looking better than he has previously to my eye. Then Collins is someone who I think uh, has the potential. He looks, he looks good in terms of how he moves and throws the ball and some of the, the mechanic and all that, but you know, he's going to have to dial in uh, on the mental side and, 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 and the maturity side and, and all that to match those guys ahead of him or maybe even exceed them ultimately. And then Bennett Meredith's the, the newcomer, still getting kind of a feel for him. It's not like we've seen hardly any team reps or anything like that. Uh, but we, I talked the other day, he has a pretty good attitude and uh, got a lot of fire kind of within him that you see um, uh, building under the surface. Yeah, certainly one of the main positional battles to take a look at. But another one is kind of by committee at the moment, similar to what you just said, where it's not really known. But one of the biggest holes to fill on this team for next season is to replace Rashad White because Rashad White was electric last season, one of the better players on the offense, if not the best, of course, was a Sun Devil Source offensive MVP. But what have you seen? They have Daniel Nagata coming back. They have Xavier Valade coming over from as a transfer from Wyoming. They also have four-star recruit Tevin White in there as well. So what have you seen from that? Yeah, and not just um, White, who was one of the better offensive players probably in the Pac-12 last year, definitely for ASU and the huge uh, usage percentage player, but then also they lost Deamonte Tranum to transfer uh, to his decision to go play linebacker instead of running back at Ohio State. That, that opens up the number two spot. So validating that's probably about as good of an addition as ASU could have hoped for. Uh, he was the most productive player in the Mountain West over the last three years. Um, he doesn't have that necessarily – that uh, jaw-dropping athleticism, but I, I feel like from what we're seeing, he has very good contact balance and is a natural runner with vision and pacing and just seems pretty savvy. And, and his durability is not in question whatsoever. Uh, Daniel Ngata, I think, has a little bit more of, of a dynamic athletic capability to him potentially, but he hasn't done anything at a consistency level that's nearly on par with what Valaday's done. So it, I think for the first time in several years, we may see more of a splitting of the distribution of reps between a couple backs, those, those two guys in particular, because as everybody knows, Eno Benjamin was just uh, a, a workhorse line share guy. And then, and then Rashad White was so good that he made it tough uh, for others to get a bunch of reps, despite how good that uh, train them and even Ngata uh, are from a potential standpoint. So um, it, it's hard to imagine that the position is as good as it was with when you have a guy like Rashad White and train him backing him. But I think that they should at least be uh, pretty good with Valade coming in and, and what he provides. Now they are a little bit shallow. Um, Willie Hartz is a pretty good walk-on. It seems like he's actually number three ahead of Tevin White right now as White kind of adjusts and gets up to speed. But the White is a, a pretty big kid for a freshman. And running back is one of those positions where it's easier to play early than some other spots on the field. So um, a tad thin, they probably should have one more guy at this position group. 
somewhere like a freshman uh, or sophomore, maybe redshirt freshman. They don't, so they're going to have to try to stay healthy and um, make the best of it. And then the ne the next position we'll go to is that running back position, and with all the players that you talked about, should be something to watch out for in the rest of spring football as well. But when you head over to the tight ends group, it's it's a little different. Curtis Hodges, of course, left had a, a strong season for ASU, but was not really necessarily to the level that Rashad White was as a running back. And they bring back Jalen Conyers. They get the transfer of Messiah Swenson, and then also a couple recruits and players. Uh, sticking around as well. So what have you seen from the tight end room? Yeah, I think this has been a little bit shakier um, than some other spots. The, the, it, the guys who are, who are newcomers are, they look pretty good running around and moving in space and even catching the football. So that with Messiah Swinson, uh, I would say in particular, the Missouri transfer who's similar to Curtis Hodges, from a size and stature standpoint at around six foot eight, 235, 40 pounds, something like that, uh, looks pretty good. Uh, but the, the area where I see that there's probably gonna be a pretty good drop off is actually with the blocking in and around the box. Um, it, it wasn't just that Curtis Hodges was good, but John Stivers was capable and they've had some other guys who have been able to do some of those things. Um, you know, to some degree. And when, when ASU is moving to this more pro style scheme of Glenn Thomas, it, it's, it really behooves them to be able to have tight ends who are versatile and be able to move around structurally, keep defenses on their toes, uh, be able to get into some max protections, some play action, some, you know, things that you can do with the tight ends that are a little bit more diverse. And, I'm just not really sure that they have that right now because Jalen Conyers, I think people will remember, um, he had none of that type of experience when he arrived at ASU a year ago. Uh, he was basically used as like a big receiver um, at Oklahoma and prior to that when he was in high school. Now he has done a good job of adjusting and becoming better as an inline player, but that's not his strength necessarily. And so then when you surround him with other guys, who also don't have that as their strength. It feels like they have a few guys who are too similar and they don't have anyone who's like that, that hard hat dude in the trenches, uh, much less somebody who has like a great ability to be that with the, the versatility to get out and run and, and make a lot of plays, uh, who's also uh, a very impacting blocker slash protector. So, um, the drills that we're seeing, it's, 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 it's a lot of work that some of these guys are, are, are having to do. Bryce Pierre in particular, he looked really good physically. Uh, he's 6'5 and probably 235, 240. Um, like he's, a, he's one of the better looking guys out there, especially among newcomers. But yet then when you get him into what his footwork is supposed to be, uh, releasing off the line of scrimmage and blocking situations and whatnot, it's very it's very uh, sort of um, rough and early on in, in his development. And so um, they, they, they don't have anyone, I think, who's ready to be a total full service guy like Curtis Hodges was. And Case Hatch, they're going to have to probably rely on him even more now because of that. But Hatch is recovering from a, 
I think a foot injury, some type of an injury, and he hasn't practiced through the first five days of spring ball. So going to have a lot of focus on this position really um, all the way until the season starts. Yeah, it'll continue to change until the season starts as well. And, and as you talk about kind of that blocking and maybe a change in the efficiency of blocking, it's something that we may see at wide receiver as well. Blocking was one of the strong suits of the team, at least early on last season and throughout as well. At the wide receiver position, Johnny Wilson transferred to Florida State. Lenyatta Alexander transferred to Washington. Johnny Wilson, probably the bigger loss of those two. Other than that, it's still a very similar group. So what have you seen from the wide receivers that may make you think it'll change from last year? Maybe you think it's just going to stay the same. Well, I would anticipate that the guys that they have who are talented will get better. Um, Brian Thompson was adjusting to a scheme and now they got to go through another sort of a scheme change, but should be a little bit easier now that he's already been at ASU and he has a better understanding of their personnel and everything, but then you got to get used to a new quarterback. So that that's a factor. Um, I, I, I think Ricky Pearsall is, should be the signature player here. I strongly believe that he didn't get enough touches last year uh, relative to what he was capable of doing and being for that team. They, as the year unfolded, they moved him around, not just using him at that H position in the slot, but he played even uh, on the boundary side X. He played a little bit Z. He has ability to kind of move seamlessly. I thought that he really should have been more committed to trying to figure out ways to get the ball. And that was one of the, the limitations that I, I with uh, Zach Hill that existed. So, so now that you have Glenn Thomas, I'll be curious to see if they really tried to to expand, especially when to this point, they haven't added any division one transfers. And that's probably the biggest failing I would say so far, uh, even more so than maybe not adding the, 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 the totally right types of tight ends or at least one uh, um, primary block blocking uh, tight end um, is that they, they needed an infusion at the wide receiver position, both from a talent and a number standpoint, because right now they only have seven um, scholarship wide receivers and I don't think there's any high school uh, signees or commitments that they have there either so that's light like that number should be probably around 10 or 11 uh, in, in August and when when it also includes no newcomers and it was sort of an average position last year at best for them where they had some injury and health problems um, you know, people will remember that um, Johnny Wilson missed a lot of time. Andre Johnson, uh, he was out for, for a period of time and, and others. That's, that's a big sort of a, uh, looming question that they have now. Um, in addition to Pearsall, I think LV Bunkley Shelton's, uh, he's good at what he is, which is an underneath leverage receiver that you can get the ball to in quick game situations. Um, they, they, they probably need to use him even more as a emotion guy in a, in a, um, something that you get the ball to creatively in, 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 uh, short passing situations, I think. And then Elijah Badger is probably their best upside player from, from an athleticism standpoint. And they've, he's been working with the first team at X, uh, for the most part in spring ball. And that's to me is an indication that they recognize that he needs to be dialed up. Uh, really probably quite a bit dialed up. Um, he has some things about him 
that have always reminded me a little bit of Brandon Ayuk. I'm not saying that he's on that caliber or will be or whatever, but there's he has some of that uh, that sort of explosive ability to uh, make guys miss after the catch, get the ball to him in space, uh, go make adjustments on the ball, run through a defense, get behind a defense. He kind of could do those things. But last year, uh, he struggled to really get a fluency of the offense. And that's what ended up uh, resulting in basically uh, him getting the ball on a lot of end rounds and, you know, situations where they knew he was coming in and he was going to get the ball in these exact narrow types of situations. Um, you know, uh, other than that, I think Andre Johnson has the ability to kind of expand and, and grow. Uh, Geo Sanders is a, a slot guy who didn't really do anything last year, despite the fact that I thought he might. And, you know, I thought he might be like a, uh, seventh you know seventh or eighth guy like a fringe guy and then chad johnson jr is another guy he's um hasn't practiced the last couple of practices i'm not sure why on that prior to that he was getting second team reps uh for the most part at z so we'll see what happens there yeah a lot a lot to be done and then it's also interesting uh when you bring up that point in terms of they could add a couple people as herm edwards has already talked about before they're still even after spring ball the transfer portal is still involved so We'll see what happens as the roster could completely shake up again, depending on what happens. But heading over to the offensive line, Donovan West and Kellen Deesh are both gone, as you talked about at the beginning of the podcast, two very big holes to fill. Uh, and the offensive line probably has the most question marks, I would say, going into spring ball. So what have you seen early on from that? Yeah, and then Henry Haddis, um, starting right guard last year, is also gone. I think he's not as difficult to replace as the other two. Um, certainly Deesh and Donovan West are, were among the best players at their respective positions, left tackle and center in the conference last year. Um, both of those guys I fully expect will get drafted, but so what they did was they added, uh, three division one, well, two division one transfers and then a division two transfer, uh, to try to account for those losses. Chris Martinez from San Diego state is a right guard. I think he'll be able to plug in for Haddis and they shouldn't, they shouldn't have a drop off there. In fact, it's, it's possible that they might even be better there. I think uh, he's, he's a very solid guy who started and was successful with the Aztecs and they do a good job developing and coaching their offensive line. Um, they, they've, they've moved Ben Scott from right tackle to center, which I think is interesting and, and might end up being the best scenario Um for the team and for Scott personally, he kind of struggled with speed on the edge uh, at times, especially in the second half last season. And then Des Holmes is a Penn state transfer who was like one of their top backups, a swing guy, meaning he could play guard or tackle. He's, he, he's probably going to be the new right tackle. Um, I think he's looked about what I would have expected, maybe even a little bit better. Um, Clearly well-coached guy who was you know, part of a good strength conditioning program and all of those things. Um, the the uh, Emmett Boley is from Northern State D2 program in the Dakotas. And I think, um, I think he's going to, I think he's going to have a tough time passing Isaiah Glass at left tackle. Uh, not ruling it out, but Glass has been pretty impressive 
and he's gained quite a bit of weight and he looks 290 and solid now. And he's really, uh, there's just a lot, a lot to like about him as a, as a young offensive lineman. I think he has the potential to be a future star player for ASU and, but Bowley being at worst, seemingly a very good backup option coupled with Spencer Lovell being a guy who can play left, right guard or, or, or right tackle. Um, I think that's also pretty solid. So it seems like they have seven guys right now who are good. I don't think they're going to be as good necessarily as they were when they had those guys that they're replacing, like I said, but if they, if there isn't much of a drop-off, I think that would be probably a win, all things considered, when you're replacing three guys like they are. Um, and then some, uh, everybody knows that Darius Henderson, I didn't mention him, but he's, their, he's probably their best player uh, in the, on the line as a left guard, third year. Uh, he's you know third, third, third year starting, he's been four years at ASU now. Time goes fast. And some of the younger guys, um, you know, we're, we're just keeping an eye on them. Ezra. Datsuno Yatade, people kind of thought he might be ready to, to start earlier because of his highly regarded status. He needs to gain more weight. Uh, he still looks light to me and, and still is not, not there yet. Um, Sione Vicoso might be among the, the, the guys who were freshmen last year, first year freshman, I should say, last year. He might be the most impressive. His really great size and stature. Um, but um, Ben Bray's been banged up and hasn't been practicing. I think he is a center slash guard option. He might be able to play as like an eighth guy right now. And uh, then they have Austin Berry and Armand Bethea. Um, I would say that Berry is like their, uh, he's like a, like a, like a maybe third or fourth backup tackle. And Bethea is like a third or fourth backup guard. So they probably aren't going to be in line to play this year, but I, I still could see either one of those emerging um, at this position group where really it, if you're doing things right, you, you should have, have the ability to bring guys along slowly for two to three years before they need to start for, for two to three years. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the interesting parts about that is just all the young players that have kind of been working uh, the last couple seasons as well. And it'll be interesting to see who actually ends up fulfilling those roles. But that was the offense. Let's switch over now to the defensive side of things. We'll stay in the trenches and talk about the defensive line, which is a very interesting one because they lose two of their stars, two of their better players, probably on the whole team last season and Tyler Johnson and DJ Davidson. But there's really some belief that there's not going to be much of a drop off. If any at, at this position, it could be one of the stronger groups of the team. So what have you seen from Robert Rodriguez and his group? Well, that's the key thing is Robert Rodriguez is we've, I think people know, especially in the devil sanctuary, our, our, our member message board, we've been really high on Rodriguez for since he arrived at ASU and we started to really see him work with his, his players. He is excellent. I think uh, not taking anything away from anyone else, but I, for my money, he's been the team's best position coach actually in terms of on field work and also just his ability to connect with players, motivate them. Uh, he has a great, he has a great mix of humor, discipline, intensity. He's a great communicator. And um, I think he also has a very good eye for talent. He understands who he should bring in and why, even when those guys aren't necessarily more highly ranked. And also 
he doesn't really get caught up too much in fool's gold of guys who are ranked, but they don't have work ethics or they have other kinds of problems. So he checks more boxes than any defensive line coach that I have seen in my time covering ASU. And I would say he's one of the best overall position coaches. And beyond that, I, I, I think that he's a guy with a lot of these other skills that he has that have been really demonstrated. I, um, he understands like, he understands the nexus between front and coverage. Uh, he understands like all of your, your, your run fits from a linebacker standpoint. He played linebacker uh, in college. I think he could easily be, without a question in my mind, he could easily be a very good defensive coordinator, maybe even a head coach. Uh, and so it's not a surprise when, when all those things are true, that even with the departures of DJ Davidson and Tyler Johnson, that this looks like probably one of the best, if not the best position groups on the team, particularly when they are going to recruit, return Jermaine Lole. Uh, he looked like he was going to be maybe their best player. Um, or their best defensive player, at least going into last season before he had the triceps tear at end of the season before it even started. Uh, he told us he's, he's, he feels really good now, probably could practice if they needed him to, but there's no games. So they're still going to kind of take it slow and allow him to build all of his strength back to what it, it was before he goes out there and fully tests it. But by, by, by August, I'm sure he's going to feel 100% basically, which is a big sign uh, at that three technique position behind him. Um, Omar Norman lot. Uh, he's been taking all the first team reps. He's, he's highly talented. He's one of the more talented guys they have on the roster, probably um, certainly among their, their, their linemen. And then um, we mentioned, of course, Silvera, the Miami transfer, he's going to be competing with TJ Pesafea, who's now played a ton as a nose tackle that's a pretty good one too. We'll see kind of how that um, shakes out on the depth chart. And um, then uh, in spring ball, at least the, I think the ends have looked better because some of these other guys have been out with injuries. Um, their, their end positions between Michael Matus, Anthony Cooper starting, and then the backups being Joe Moore and Garen Stansbury and uh, Stanley Lambert. Um, it's been pretty impressive. I, I mean, their their starters look good, and then the backups are clearly more talented. I think in terms of their their ultimate upside, just because of their their their, their longer, bigger frame kids with even probably more twitchy athleticism. Stansbury's added twenty pounds now, two forty two. I'm I'm not sure that ASU's had a better looking defensive end in terms of physical size, stature, movement skills um, in recent history than Stansbury, but he's still learning the position. Joe Moore is probably one of the more improved guys on the team in the last year or two years. I thought the same thing about Anthony Cooper last year. Again, that's Rodriguez and his development and what he's brought to the table. Stanley Lambert has gained a lot of size. He looks every bit ready to, to play and help this team right now. Trevez Moore didn't even mention him because he hasn't practiced as he's also coming back from uh, the knee injury from last year, but uh, he was starting even ahead of Tyler Johnson. So we'll see what happens with his athleticism coming back from that. Some guys, not all the way there, but man, I think their defensive ends, uh, they got it in spades. And then I didn't even mention uh, Dylan Hall, 
the Boise State bounce back, went JUCO, and then is at ASU now. I mean, he's probably 6'5", 240, and another option. So, uh, and then Robbie Harrison's a nose tackle. He's probably going to be their number three nose tackle. At worst, they have a they have Jaleel Tucker coming in also, who's not on campus yet. Um, Rodriguez, he made a joke this week that uh, after the injuries they had last year, he's never going to say that he has enough defensive linemen. But I'm telling you, he's probably going to have enough defensive linemen this year. Yeah, he, he talked about depth and then said the quality of depth is definitely better, which is certainly true. There's tons of talent within that defensive line group. We'll head over now to the linebackers. Darian Butler uh, is headed towards the NFL draft. He was a big player for ASU, four-year starter as well, and, and captain for ASU uh, a couple of those years as well. But in terms of the linebacker group, Kyle Soley's back, Merlin Robertson's back, Eric Gentry has seemingly just continued to take more and more jumps, looks good in terms of his body as well. What do you see from the linebackers for ASU? Yeah, Gentry, um, he was really skinny last year, but his frame is good. I, don't, I think people, they, they probably didn't realize how, not, how good of a frame he actually has given how thin that he was, but he's pretty broad through the shoulders, his hip structure, all that. So uh, he's added 10 to 15 pounds, still looks very thin. He's probably going to add another 30 pounds or more, like over the course of his ASU career. And ultimately he's going to end up uh, 6'6 or 6'7, whatever he is, and 250 pounds or something like that. But He's so, he has such great dexterity and, and he's so nimble with his feet for how, for how long that he is. It, you rarely see that. Um, I like it's, it may sound crazy to people because Robertson and Soli have been around ASU forever now, it seems like. And yet I think it's possible that Gentry ends up their best linebacker this year, like that he's that good. Um, but Soli, I think, is, is one of the leaders now. Absolutely. Robertson, not as much of a vocal guy, more of a chill guy, but um, he's had to work a lot on his play diagnostics, film study, and then his limberness and his strength and assertiveness getting off of blocks, um, sort of retracing, being able to anticipate what's ahead of him, all that stuff. So those are those are more advanced things that you're not really going to see or learn that much when you're playing against your own uh your own team and your own scheme and in practices and not tackle and, and important to say like we're not seeing any tackle football like it's 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 at most it's like barely fed mode right now so you know like how some are, some guys are doing in some of those areas not going to be able to tell but even with even even with um, the departure of Butler and with Gentry's elevation and the other guys coming back, they have a very obvious top three. But then Rodney Gross is um, is a, a guy who looks the part, absolutely looks the part to me. And um, we just haven't seen him in more of these advanced ways either. And then the next tier would be Connor Soley and Kayla and Will Schaefer. Um, I think Schaefer is a Butler type of a guy in some respects. And Connor Soley is 
a little bit more of a, of a dynamic athlete than probably some of the other guys that they have. It's very different than his brother, uh, for example. So the, the depth is pretty good there. We haven't talked about Jaden Williams. He's, um, I would say he's like the defensive version of Ezra Dotson Oyatade and maybe even Isaiah Johnson as well. When you look at three guys, really athletic, uh, a lot was expected of them, but they've had slower buildups to where, to where they're at. But if he stays the course, I think Williams could also be uh, a pretty potent player at this level. He's, he's definitely one of the best athletes that they have um, in their front seven. Yeah, linebackers should be a good group moving forward in terms of the players in depth that they have, as well as the players that should be starting. The last part of the defense, though, is the secondary. Of course, Chase Lucas and Jack Jones both heading towards the draft, the NFL draft as well. Both of them leave pretty big holes. It's already been talked about a little bit throughout the media and a couple of the coaches and players talking about it. So what do you see from the secondary in both those in those defensive back and, and safety positions? There's a few guys that they really need to step up in a major way. Um, Tamarcus Davis is the headliner of all of that. He's the only true upperclassman in eligibility uh, cornerback that they have right now. And I felt like 2020, he did a great job. He was dialed in his four games, but he looked great. And then last year, I didn't think that he took the same step for whatever reason. Now, maybe it was um, Chris Hawkins not, not being with the team and there's certain energy or vibe or whatever. I, I don't know. But I think that um, even, even a couple of years ago, the sense I had was that Davis might have more long-term upside than Jack Jones or Chase Lucas, like projecting to the NFL because he's um, close to six foot or, or around that and 180 something pounds, very twitchy, uh, great recovery speed, um, jumps out the gym, 40, 40 inch vertical or whatever. Um, and he had short, showed a lot of tenaciousness to me, uh, as well. So, you know, I'm interested to kind of see what's going to happen with him, with him. Um, and then I would say beyond that, it's very much an open question as to who else is going to start. They, they have, uh, they had Keon Markham taking a lot of first team reps at corner. He was a third team guy last year. Mason Williams played more nickel than on the outside, but now he's playing outside. And then uh, Ed Woods has played a decent amount, but not shown that he's ready to, to, to be a starter at this level. And Isaiah Johnson for the first time got uh, first team reps in the team period that we saw on Wednesday. He's, uh, he, he, his, his upside is phenomenal, but does he have the sort of the everyday mentality and the maturity the toughness discipline? Those are to me, uh, as, as yet undetermined. And then at safety, um, it, I think they're going to have to rely very heavily on the, their, their newcomers because Kiwan Markham is, is a very solid player. He was a, he was a good number three uh, last year, who then had elevated and was a, a, a pretty solid starter when Evan Fields wasn't out there, but he's one guy. And so Corey Bethley, uh, I thought he was great at Hawaii. Watched some of, some of him ball nose for the football, very smart, instinctual 
player, not the most impressive guy physically necessarily. Like he's sort of shorter and stockier and whatever, but uh, he just gets it done. And um, so I, I, I think he'll get, he'll eventually probably be a starter. Chris Edmonds is like, he looks great. Like he looks like Keelan Johnson or, or someone maybe physically uh, one of the better looking actual true safety safeties at ASU's probably had in, in recent years, but still don't have a good feel for hit where he's at from a readiness standpoint. Um, and then they have um, some younger guys. Um, DJ Taylor has taken some reps. Um, and then they've had, um, they have Willie Hartz and they have RJ Reagan, even though he has a foot injury, right foot injury that's kept him out of spring ball. And he probably won't be ready until at least uh, later on this summer. And then T Lee, we haven't seen, he's a safety, but we haven't seen him practicing at all uh, with the team um, this spring. So that's someone we're gonna have to look into his status. Certainly another interesting position, which all of the positions we just went over seem to be pretty intriguing battles and just, or how it will develop in terms of from now to the season. So make sure to stay tuned to all of our spring football content and coverage. I'll give you a little bit more specifics in terms of what that coverage will look like at the end of this podcast. But before we finish, we're going to go over to ASU basketball. We're yet to have a podcast since they're exit in the Pac-12 tournament. They won seven of their final eight regular season games. It seemed like they had kind of started to find something, Chris, and then they went into the Pac-12 tournament, realistically needing to win, win out basically to have any chance at an NCAA tournament bid. They ended up losing to Stanford on a buzzer beater in the first round of the Pac-12 tournament. They had an absolutely absurd Kamani Lawrence and one poster dunk that had ASU have a 69-55 lead with just over three minutes to go, but they missed a flurry of free throws down the stretch and eventually lost to a James Keith buzzer beater, 71 to 70. So Chris, what were your kind of important takeaways from this game? Yeah, uh, that was something else. Uh, the Pac-12 tournament is where ASU's dreams go to die, Ethan. Let's just uh, put it like that. Um, I think they've only made the finals one time. They have... ASU and Washington State have the worst records by far in the in the Pac-12 tournament since um, since the event was brought back, um, you know, a number of years ago in Los Angeles, and then eventually moved to Las Vegas. And that they they had one game um, where they 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 uh, gave up a 22 point lead or something crazy like that in the second half to USC, but in that, and that was however many years ago, the, that was the, the, the Herb Sundeck food court uh, year that I think the, the photo that kind of became infamous in the ASU community happened. Um, but this, this was worse because that happened over a much longer period of time and ASU was losing in the final few minutes of that game. This was 14 points. Um, it's just, and then, and then, you know, you see Stanford going a 16 to one run to end the game over a three minute period. Uh, ASU missed a bunch of free throws, including the front end of one and ones, turned the ball over. Uh, they, they had done such a good job the entire game of, of limiting second chance opportunities. All of a sudden they're giving up offensive rebounds left and right. They, they have an alley-oop dunk coming off a timeout attempt that they, they should have burned 20 more seconds a clock or something like that. And, and they, they, they didn't even get offensive possessions the way that they should have had 
in the last, well, at least like the three to one minute period. Um, that, that was a, it was a total collapse. Um, one that you rarely see, I, I think they were a 99.2% favorite in the, the ESPN um, uh, analytics, but you know, it's ASU. So maybe that's, that wasn't uh, appropriately factoring that, that into the equation. It doesn't, doesn't uh, take away their strong conclusion to their start. I think everybody knew that the idea that they would win four straight games in the Pac-12 tournament to advance was pretty far-fetched, especially when they were going to have to play Arizona the following day, which was a bad matchup. But, um, you know, I think that everybody wanted to see them at least get to that point and then be able to put on a good game against the, uh, one of the better teams in the country after the way that their regular season concluded, but it wasn't meant to be. Yeah, it was really a collapse. You can't even really say a second half collapse. It was a last three minutes of the game collapse. As they dominated the game, they they, they, they did. Do, they, it they, should have been a win. They thirty-seven minutes of domination. Like it was, it wasn't even wasn't even close. I mean, and if then, you went around and showed people that a team was up fourteen points with three minutes left to go, if you asked a hundred people, all hundred would say that team won. So. It was it was it was a pretty big collapse, and you would. Well, think- they they probably wouldn't though, because if you were if you asked them like that, they would say, oh, "This is a trick question." The, true, the, true. The- there might there might be a couple that say the other way, <laughs> yeah. but the, the large majority would say that okay. team would have won. But anyways, you you wouldn't really think that it could get worse, but it did. As Jalen Graham, who really emerged into a star player towards the second half of the season, entered the transfer portal. Chris, what are you kind of hearing in terms of? why he's entered the transfer portal. Right. So um, I really had heard probably at least a month before the end of the season, maybe even six weeks that he wouldn't, that he wasn't going to be back at ASU. And, and really this is where the name image likeness reality has, has changed the landscape of college basketball because Jalen Graham was ASU's best player in the final five or six weeks of the season. Um, I think in, in like eight of his last 12 games, he had 14 or more points. He was their, um, their go-to offensive player in the painted area who opened up a lot of opportunities with double teams um, when he wasn't hitting really big uh, late shots. Uh, he was getting three pointers for, the te- for his teammates and really contributed to what, what was a bad offensive team's ability to become at least decent on that end of the floor in the second half of the year. And, um, but then he became second team all pack 12. And just the simple fact of the matter is that there, there's an NIL marketplace for those types of guys in the, in the transfer portal. And so a guy like Jalen Graham probably is going to be able to get 50,000, 75,000, maybe, maybe more than that, even in, in NIL money somewhere going to a top 20 basketball team, the SEC, the top, or maybe one of the top teams in the ACC or the big 10 or the big 12, right? Remy Martin um, initially thought he was going to go pro then ultimately decided to transfer to Kansas. I heard he got some NIL money. As part of that, he was a higher profile player than Graham, but Graham, especially being a big, he, he has value. And so a lot of these guys are making economic decisions at this point. And, and probably if Graham feels like um, 
there's not enough money in the NIL marketplace for him somewhere, which I would be surprised by again. Well, then he could probably go overseas and make $100,000 playing somewhere. He's not going to be an NBA player, uh, I don't think, and definitely not in the next year or two or, um, or longer. So, you know, a lot of these guys, and I understand it, it's like you have, as a basketball player, you probably have until you're maybe 35 to, to earn a living. And so one year, any one year out of that from like 20 to 35 is I'm bad at math, but what is that? Like 7% or something, you know? So just imagine if you're giving up a year or two years, you're giving up 7%, 15% or whatever of your, your, your earning potential in, in, in a career field. And so people are making economic decisions. I heard that he was going to make one. That's a very bad sign for ASU because uh, ASU is going to have to compete for these types of players and also maybe figure out who they need to go after getting who isn't as going to be as inclined to be focused on that. And that brings me to uh, the counterpoint, which is that um, Marcus Bagley indicated that he's going to be back. Um, he didn't really play this year because of the knee injury. Uh, he's now two years of kind of underperforming or um, not being on the court. And that's been a frustration to ASU fans. Nobody thought he'd be around for a third year of college. I certainly didn't. But um, it's possible that he ends up kind of reasserting and becoming an important player because when he was healthy, he was one of ASU's better players uh, as a freshman uh, two years ago. So, yeah, they lose, they lose Graham. That is a hit. But they badly might be back. And their overall roster picture still looks pretty good in a number of respects yeah when you talk about Jalen Graham that's kind of a someone who asserted himself and was part of the team and kind of proven on ASU as a player as he as I said he kind of grew into the second half of the season you talked about a little bit but three other players have left in in freshman Justin Roshlin, Damari Williams and Will Felton that means they've lost three of their five freshmen in that class so what does that mean in terms of you have these young guys that maybe you're trying. We even just talked about with spring football, you're kind of bringing up young guys to learn your scheme and learn your stuff like that. So now the young guys that you bring in are leaving. So what do these three guys leave? Uh, these three guys leaving mean for Son of a Hoops? Well, it means they didn't do a good job of recruiting a few guys. Uh, I, it was pretty obvious to me, really, really from – the very beginning of those players being at ASU and even before they arrived, that those were pretty speculative additions. I don't mean this in any disparaging way, but I, Damari Williams, I don't, I don't know that he can play Division One basketball. Like it's been like at a lower level, maybe, maybe like a Portland State or Northern Arizona or something like that. But I, I just don't, I just don't. I, I just don't, it was a head scratcher, really. And then Jemaya Neal, I thought he'd be a little bit, I mean, not Jemaya Neal, pardon me. Um, I thought that I thought that they'd get a little bit more out of Justin Roshlin than they did. Um, uh, you know, he looked like he was a pretty good shooter developing. He's got a better frame and a little bit better sort of movement skills. Somebody 6'4 than, than Williams, but it, it didn't, you know, didn't really, his, his, for some reason, I think his shot mechanic almost regressed. 
and the ball wasn't coming off his hand as well. And then if, if he was going to be a, a specialist, but then his shooting really wasn't good. I mean, that, then, then you got a big problem. So I, I don't, I'm not sure where he's going to be able to play either now. Like maybe he gets some West coast conference opportunities, but I think more likely he ends up in the big West with a big sky. And that seems more fitting. And, uh, probably the best of the three was Will Felton. I thought maybe Will Felton had a chance down the line to be a contributor uh, for the Sun Devils. But when you have the eligibility free season and then you get Jalen Graham back and then you had Alonzo Piafni, Enoch Kawachi, uh, you know, there was no place for, for Felton. Now, um, you know, curiously, he entered the portal before Jalen Graham's decision to leave. And so with Gaffney and Bawachi being the only bigs coming back. Um, I think there it's potential that there might be, it might be, it might've been some minutes for Will Felton, but I strongly, very strongly suspect that ASU is going to try to add someone from the transfer portal uh, who can come in and would be older and more experienced and be able to play a Jalen Graham type of a role while uh, Bawachi and Gaffney continued to develop. And by the way, uh, Gaffney was shooting the ball really well to end the season. And I thought he looked better kind of on both ends of the court. And uh, I think he has more upside than Jalen Graham, actually. You know, he wasn't better, certainly, but I think he might have a, a higher ceiling. And Bawachi, a lot of people probably thought he might not be around at ASU for a second year because he was so highly regarded. And I, I still think that his upside's great. Uh, there's not a lot of guys that are, have seven foot three wingspans and, and move like he does, but he's got to get stronger. He's got to get a little more tenacious. Um, I think that uh, the, the sky though remains a limit for him. He's a really good kid, talked to him several times and he's just happy and got a smile on his face. There's a lot kind of there for him. Um, his, his former uh, prep school coach, is one of ASU's assistant coaches. So I think, you know, the fact that they're going to get Bawachi and um, Bagley back, uh, that, that bodes pretty well for them. They, they do have uh, a pretty, pretty good core nucleus of players. Yeah, when you talk about uh, players kind of transferring out, as you said, you would suspect them to go to the transfer portal. A lot of transfers coming in last season, but what do you kind of see? You said the roster kind of projection looks pretty good for next season, but what do they still have to accomplish when building that roster for next season? Right. So we went through the, the front court pretty clearly. The picture is um, Boachi, Gaffney, Marcus Bagley. That's a very good trio of guys, especially if Bagley's healthy, but they, they're going to need to add at least one more guy there, maybe two more guys there, probably via the transfer portal or overseas, maybe perhaps. Then you look at their, their guard situation, uh, DJ Horn coming back, Jay Heath uh, coming back. Um, of course, they, 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 they lost uh, Marion Jackson, and he was playing well at the end of the season, not to mention, of course, Kamani Lawrence in the front court. But um, so, so they have, uh, you know, I think they have a couple of, of guards. Jemiah Neal is really kind of like a swing guy. He's more like a three-man, so he, he's out there on the wing. And I, I think when they lose Kamani Lawrence, I mean, they could easily play Jemiah Neal and Marcus Bagley, especially with Bagley being a shooter. Jemiah Neal's, I think he's a, a versatile, dynamic defensive player. I, I would imagine he's going to play a much bigger role next season. 
but they but the true backcourt guys i think i think uh that's where they are going to need uh a lot of help because you're not going to get it done with with dj horn jay heath and luther muhammad muhammad being another kind of a swing guy who could be a two or a three uh i think i think they have uh overall a, a very good seven better back um horn muhammad heath uh jamai neal and then the the three front court front court guys that we mentioned that's that's a very good seven but if they could if they could add one more guard um who's a impact or uh, at worst top backup level player and then they could also add one more banger uh you know rebounder defender hard-nosed guy um, I think that would be huge. Of course, they are getting Austin Nunez, a high school point guard coming in who maybe can be a third guard for them or a fourth guard for them, which is which would be big if he's a backup point guard. Um, I, I think he could, that could that that could work out. Duke Brennan is a six ten big man that they had that maybe can give them some minutes, um, but I think that they'd rather make sure that they have somebody else who's older. So. They really only have nine uh, committed scholarships right now with these other guys, these three guys transferring plus Graham's uh, departure. So they have the ability to add several scholarships. I don't know that there's any high school guys that they're going to go after. I think more than likely they end up with two or three transfer portal players and, and maybe um, maybe somebody from junior college, maybe somebody from overseas. Yeah, so a good amount to happen with that team, especially if last year is anything to go by with how Bobby Hurley and company uh, decided to use the transfer portal. Make sure to stay tuned to all of our content heading up into the next basketball season and all the offseason coverage. We'll have it for you uh, with Sun Devil Source. And I told you earlier that I'd tell you about our next podcast, which uh, we'll have more on, I guess I should say in this podcast, we touched a little bit more on spring football currently. And then as we just talked about basketball, so that next podcast, we'll have more on the continuing investigation on ASU football recruiting, as well as a conversation about the foundation that Willie Bloomquist is trying to set in his first year with ASU baseball. But that also we'll talk a little bit about the challenges that they faced at the beginning of this season as well. Also know that more spring football is coming very soon, as well as that baseball coverage that's been happening throughout the season. So make sure to stay tuned to all of our content in the coming weeks. But for now, that is it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I've been Ethan Ryder with Chris Cartman. Thanks for listening and have a good one, everyone.